there and welcome to the show. It's me, John Park, and this is John Park's workshop here on Adafruit Industries, YouTube and other places. Uh, and we have confirmation from the good people over in our chat that we are live on uh, YouTube. We should be on Twitch and uh, LinkedIn Live and Facebook and gosh, all sorts of places. Uh, Yes, confirming bleeps and bloops. Thanks so much. Uh, hello, Rich Sad. Hello, C. Grover. Andy Calloway. Look, these are all the people that are hanging out over here in our Discord right there. Uh, and uh, hi, Mr. Certainly. Nice to see you, Gary Z. Uh, so, hey, Andy Calloway. Let's, uh, let's see. What have we got in store for today? Um, I am excited, really excited about today's project. Uh, it involves our uh, macro pad our little Adafruit macro pad, as well as uh, some MIDI coding in CircuitPython to be able to talk to and listen to uh, Ableton Live, which is some music software. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun to dig into. And uh, what else? We've got, uh, I'm going to talk about the jobs board. We've got uh, an upcoming Adabox I want to mention. Uh, we'll take a look at the last product pick of the week, as well as do a new circuit Python Parsec. And of course, I'll take any uh, and all questions over in the YouTube chat. I'll keep an eye out there and on our Discord chat. Hey, Stuart Riggs. Hey, Yanisko, Johnny Bergdahl, Meridian Prime. Hello, hello. Uh, so let's get started. First of all, I don't have a graphic for this. I forgot to add one, but uh, Adabox is coming, so if you are interested in getting the next Adabox and you are not subscribed, head to adabox.com. You can sign up or you can sign someone up as a gift to them, and you will receive, if you get within the next hundred or so, I think we have about a hundred slots left. Uh, tell me in the chat if I'm wrong on that, but I think we have a few slots left where you can go and sign up and get this upcoming Adabox, uh, which is Adabox 19. I think I got that right. I think it's 19. Uh, we've been doing these for a long time now, huh? For a year, uh, Adabox 19. That's almost five years worth, right? According to my math. And that one will be shipping soon in the next few weeks, I think. And uh, I'll be targeting doing a uh, live unboxing on uh, roughly the last week of July, maybe first week of August. That's kind of what we have in, uh, in the works right now. Uh, things can change. Of course, we're like anyone else out there dealing with parts shortages and shipping uh, delays and all those sorts of things. So uh, could could change. But that is uh, that is our thought right now. Is last week of August? Uh, sorry, last week of July, first week of August, roughly in there, uh, is what we're targeting. And so I need to start uh, getting my costumes together. Should be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Next up, help help wanted. We've got a jobs board. Did you know that? That's right. If you head over to, let me switch to my browser here, uh, the jobs.adafruit.com. That's it right there. Uh, and I've clicked on one of the many jobs available. If you, if you go to jobs.adafruit.com, you can see these are the search jobs section. And I clicked on this one here, uh, CircuitPython Project. Uh, it is a freelance gig. Someone is looking for consultation and help with some circuit Python and possibly designing a uh, PCB and a PID controller. Uh, so if you're looking for some freelance work, go to the jobs board and check that out. We vet them all so that uh, these are what we consider to be good 
quality, non-scammy job uh, openings and, and freelance uh, and contract jobs, part-time, full-time, the, the works. And uh, you can also post your resume on there if you head up to the available for hire section. If you log into Adafruit, you can go, and it's entirely free. So uh, I recommend you go check that out if you're looking for work, if you're looking to hire someone. That's jobs.adafruit.com. Uh, and let's see, next up, the, um, that's not the new water. I forget my new water. Oh, there it is. There's some new water. Yeah, someone mentioned that Lars looks like he might be falling asleep over there. What's up, Lars? Hmm. What's up with that guy? Hmm. All right, what's next? Uh, I will mention the uh, show that I do on Tuesdays, which is my product pick of the week. Uh, in each week, each week, I pick a new product, usually something brand new. Sometimes it's a revision of something. Sometimes it's just because I feel like it. Uh, but this one is a uh, 2.13-inch e-ink display breakout. And it has a nice high resolution of 250 by 122 pixels. Uh, you can control it from CircuitPython. You can control it from Arduino. You can control it from Python on your computer using Blinka through a microcontroller. And uh, during the show, the uh, product pick of the week is on a deep discount, usually 50% off. So it's a great time to get the product. Uh, and uh, I like to do about a... 20-minute, half-hour show going into some of the details of the product, doing a project or two with it, showing you some of the code. Uh, and then I do a little uh, one-minute recap. So this is the recap from this week's product pick. Check it out. The 2.13-inch monochrome e-ink display breakout. You can see here, this is a really gorgeous display. It's nice and high resolution. So you're going to see it's going to do its little refresh. Uh, there it kind of inverts the screen, does black, does white, and then it displays it. What I wanted to do is actually set this up as sort of a page a day calendar. I'm going to run a little Python script. It's now updated it with today's day and date, and that's grabbing it from my computer, which is what that Python script does. And so every hour, both my Python script and the CircuitPython script running on this little microcontroller will go and check. Essentially, the computer will check and see, hey, what's today's date, day and date? And then it's going to send that over serial on the USB over to the Itsy Bitsy M4. CircuitPython software there is waiting for input. And when it grabs that input, it then displays it up there. The monochrome 2.13-inch e-ink display breakout. Let me see. There we go. Got the sound back. Keeping an eye on that. I don't want to get caught out. Uh, next thing I wanted to do, let me get uh, some things set up and we'll take a look at this week's Circuit Python Parsec. All right. Uh, so. I'm going to don some glasses here so I can see the code and get my code window set up. Uh, there it is right there. Okay. For the CircuitPython Parsec today, what I wanted to talk about is formatting strings along with numbers inside of your code. Sometimes you want to just simply print out to the serial or the REPL or to a display 
some information and you want to format it nicely. So here are a couple of ways that you can do it. Right now, uh, what I have going on in the code is I'm importing time, so I can do a little pause. I'm importing board, so I have pin definitions. I actually don't need those in this case. And I'm importing random, so that I can generate some random numbers just to make it more interesting. Then in the main loop of the program, what I'm doing is I am creating three variables named number one, number two, and number three. And those are uh, numbers that are created using this random.randint and then a range. So I'm saying 0 to 39. So it can be any integer between 0 and 39. Those get generated each loop of the program. Then the next thing that happens is I go ahead and I print out the uh, phrase that you see here below, random combo is, and then a number like 29 left, 15 right, 6 left, as if we're generating numbers for a combination lock. Um, I'll go ahead and run that so that it is uh, updating in real time. So you can see it waits four seconds and then it's going to go ahead and repeat that, except this time it's generated a new number. Now, what you can see about the way I am formatting this print statement is that it is kind of long and a bit confusing to deal with sometimes, especially when you look at all these commas. I wanted to do things like uh, have the word random combo is, then a number, then the word left, then a comma, and then quotes, and then another comma. So it's totally doable, but it can get a little confusing. So here's an alternate method. And this right here, I think, is a little more manageable sometimes. Here you can see I have the whole phrase as I want to see it. Right here it says random combo is, and then I'm using this percent %d, which means we're going to go outside these quotes and grab the first variable uh, as an integer number and plop that in. Then I have the word left. Then I go and do the same for the next one. I grab this number two, then the word right, comma, and then the third one, and I go and grab number three. So you can see if I save the code right now, it's going to refresh, and it looks the same. It actually prints out the same type of statement, but it's really nice and clear and concise, both the way it prints out, but also the way we deal with it. If you have to change any variables here later, it's nice and neat and uh, easy to understand. And that is one way that you can format your print statements inside of CircuitPython. And that is your CircuitPython Parsec. All right, well, I hope that's uh, helpful for you. And of course, uh, formatting is one of those things that can get really complicated really quickly. You can do a lot with it. There are ways to uh, convert things. And uh, as you can see in some of the code there, I have uh, some carriage returns going on. Uh, this little slash N here gives me a, essentially a return or a line, line return. Uh, so there's a lot that you can do, but uh, these are two methods that I think are, are helpful. Uh, and then you can always go online and, uh, and find lots and lots of advice for string formatting in Python. Uh, let's see. The um, next thing I want to do uh, is jump into a, um, a little gear report thing, actually. This, you can see it right here on the screen. It's this little helping hand. And uh, this one's a new one I just got. Uh, let me go full screen with this. Let me try to refocus a little bit so you can see the helping hand a little better. There it is. Uh, so this one, uh, it was new to me. I hadn't seen this, uh, this style before. And it is um, reminiscent a little bit of the type of machining that you see in stop motion puppet armatures. It's really nicely uh, machined 
with these little ball and socket uh, joints. It's actually similar to the very, very cheap magnifying glass third arm helping hands that you find, except it's not really, really cheap. And so everything actually cranks down nice and tight uh, and gives you uh, a solid fix once you've cranked it in there. In fact, uh, rather than having um, uh, sort of wing nuts on either side, it uses a little uh, screw with an Allen or a hex head on it. So you have to uh, get a tool out and really crank it down if you want. You can also kind of loosen it by hand a little bit and, and, and move it around here. Um, and it's of course not made for holding very heavy things, but it does seem to be with this nice heavy base and this really um, precision made uh, clamp here, give you some better focus. Uh, it gives a, a nice steady hold. So you can see if you're soldering something onto, onto a thing like that, we can clamp into there, uh, put it where we want it, do our soldering, look at it under a microscope, whatever you're doing. Um, this can also be screwed down into uh, a work surface if you need or something heavier. Uh, this I think is, I haven't checked, but I think it should be ferrous. Let me get a magnet. Any of it? Nope. It's not ferrous. Okay. I was hoping this would be. It is not. Uh, sometimes you'll find some parts are. Nope. Okay. That is, but only mildly so. Um, and this is um, just a section of the, uh, the arms that are on it. Actually, let me jump to my workbench. Uh, you may find these um, elsewhere. Let me pop a camera up in here. Uh, I don't know if these were made by Maritac themselves. This was the little box that came in. It says Maritac on there. Um, these are some of the extras for it so you can uh, see, you could really extend the heck out of, out of this thing. I'm not sure what situation you'd, you'd get into where you needed that much, uh, that much, that many joints, that many points of articulation, but I don't know, I might do some stop motion animation with it just because it's so cool. Uh, and these are little extras of the of little clamps. Um, I may have, here's a cheap one. These are the, some of the remaining parts of a cheap one. Uh, and these, uh, there are probably good versions of them. This one is one of these cheap ones that just doesn't grip after a while. These, these actually, I don't think they uh, deburred the edges there, so they actually have a little bite to them, which may be intentional just to, to give it some good grip. Uh, so that was, that's a Maritac is the brand behind that, and you might just look online uh, to find that. It was sent to me by Countycom. Um, and uh, this one they sent me for free, by the way. I buy a lot of stuff from them. Sometimes they send me something, so I just want to be uh, upfront about that, that I didn't, I didn't buy this set. But I think it was not expensive. I think it was in the 20-something dollar range. Um, so those go in and out of stock. Uh, I don't think it's in stock right now. But just want to show that off because I thought it was cool, and you might dig it. Uh, yeah, the Hobby Hand by Maritac is uh, in the Discord chat there, it says. Uh, yeah, and Stuart Riggs said you could 3D print some TPU on the end clamps for insulation. Absolutely. I often have put uh, just some heat shrink on, on my uh, helping hands. Um, so there you go. Yeah, and and uh, Mr. Certainly found some links that you can go to in the Discord if you're wondering about it. All right. Uh, let's see. Then, what do we do? Let's, uh, let's dive into the project this week. Um, so a little setup on this. The, uh, the project I've got, I said it's using the macro pad. Uh, and you can see here uh, a couple things going on. This is the, uh, 
windowed keycaps that uh, that Adafruit has now. I've just gotten a set of those. They're not cheap, as someone pointed out. They're they're four dollars and fifty cents each. So it is an investment if you're going to kit out a whole uh, macro pad like this. Um, but it is really cool. It looks great. It makes uh, less of a sort of wash of, of light, and instead you get uh, some very nice sort of focused little uh, buttons on here. And um, you, you won't see them yet because I haven't hit any buttons to light it up, but you will in a moment. In fact, if I, uh, if I hit reset, you'll see uh, during reset, there's one that, this one blinks right here. Bink, bink, bink. Um, so let me set up my camera uh, focus on this guy a little better now. And bear with me. I'll point that. Whoops. And now I've done it. I've launched some music. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jump in the gun. Uh, the uh, next... Okay, so the next thing I want to do is introduce uh, Ableton Live a little bit, which is what I'm setting this macro pad up as a uh, um, as a launcher for. So there's my. Let's see if I can get a better view of that with less glare. There is a lot of glare. Okay, at least it's. Oh, whoa, way out of focus. All right, there we go. Phew. So I'm gonna uh, let me hide some windows here for a second so that you can. See, just Ableton uh, first. And, okay, so the way uh, Ableton works is that it's, it's music software. Uh, it has a few different ways of working. You can use it to record like a, a sort of somewhat typical digital audio workstation or DAW or DAW. Uh, it is also used, the, the name of Ableton, it's called Ableton Live, and it's uh, often used as a live performance tool for live looping. Uh, and what you're looping is little clips that are either uh, some set of MIDI notes that are playing through an instrument, uh, a software instrument built into it, uh, or a WAV file, a sample. Uh, so most of the things, actually all the things in here, these are, these are samples. So it's music that's been produced uh, in little loopable sections that work together. They're in the same key, they're in the same tempo. Um, and typically, you saw over here actually, uh, typically people use, instead of clicking on things in the software, which we can do, if I click play here, I'm playing just this first drum track. Now I'll add to it, sort of horizontal things work together. So there comes the bass in. And here's a little synth line. Now you can launch all of those together, or you can move down to the next section, and so on. So I'll go ahead and stop that. Um, and one way that uh, Ableton is often used is with some sort of a control surface. So this is a, a launch pad from Novation, uh, and these are really popular for playing back the different clips because these are NeoPixel or RGB LED lit pads, which when you plug this in will conform to the session that you have running. So we'll get LEDs lit up that match each of those uh, columns and rows. And um, they're really great. 
a lot of fun. Uh, somewhat customizable, but not a microcontroller that you can actually code yourself. Um, and so what I wanted to do was create a similar type of launch pad or launch controller using our macro pad here um, and uh, be able to press a button on my uh, launch pad here or on my macro pad. Oh, I've broken something. What have I done? Uh, let's, let's reset. I may have angered it. Uh, like I said, I might have some setup to do. Okay, it's working. I think it's working. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple things you'll notice. First of all, when I start up the macro pad, uh, I've got a little display that I've created here that uh, tells me the names of the instrument uh, tracks, these vertical tracks of clips. And uh, I have indicators with these little dots of which one is currently armed and playing. Um, and uh, I also have a little uh, knob, you can see here, let me look at my focus. I have a little knob there with a number that's changing, uh, which says cutoff. I'm going to use that to change the cutoff frequency of a filter. And I also have, uh, this is a push encoder, so we can click it and you'll see it changes something on the display there. It changes that little uh, circle to a dot. And I just chose uh, to use text for this rather than graphics. You could use graphics, but so my text of a, of a lowercase o is a clip that's playing and a dot is one that's not. Um, and, uh, but you'll notice my, my LEDs there, the NeoPixels under these caps are not lit up right now. Um, but watch what happens here. I'm gonna go to Ableton and uh, I'm gonna click on, hopefully you can see it, it's just the upper right corner. I'm just gonna click on a button that uh, you use, whoops, there we go, uh, that you use to uh, set things up in MIDI. And that is one of many ways that you can refresh your controller. Another is just to open a new scene. So if I have nothing loaded and then I open this new uh, session, this new Ableton session, it will light up all these LEDs. And what you'll notice is, let me, uh, let me mess with my exposure a little bit here to darken it. So what you'll notice is those colors actually match the colors in my uh, clips here. So I have a sort of light blue, a purple, a blue, a dark blue as the um, first set of clips running vertically in this drums column. Uh, then these different yellows and oranges and then these reds and, and magentas. Um, so those correspond to the buttons here. And in fact, if I change one, let's, uh, we'll take this bottom right one and I'm just gonna change its color. We'll change it to blue. You'll see that just changed on my macro pad, uh, which is really, really cool. It's actually the kind of one of my, my favorite parts of this whole project is the fact that we've got this uh, back and forth between the uh, hardware and the software, which sometimes you take for granted with sort of coupled uh, integrated hardware software solutions. But this is a case where we're doing a DIY project that's ostensibly just a MIDI device, just sends out um, MIDI messages over USB to the software. But the real magical thing is that Ableton Live is set up to send its own MIDI messages back to the controller to tell it what to do as far as its lights go. Um, so if you, if you watch here, what I'll do is I'll arm some clips. It means they're gonna play. Uh, they will turn green, whichever ones that I've, that I've got playing. They'll turn green and when I um, play a different uh, 
clip in that column, it will turn green, but it will set the last button that was pressed to its original color. So you'll see here, this first one is blue. You play that, and now it's green. Now play the next one below it, and you'll see this one turn blue again. Uh, let me do it over here in the, I'll rearm that first one, and you'll notice my uh, display is updating as well. Now in the last column here, I'm gonna play the synth line. You see that turn green. Now I'll play the next one down, and again, you'll see the colors swap. Now when I'm done playing them, what I'm doing is I'm holding down this modifier, uh, which is what I'm considering that um, knob to be. You'll see it dims my, uh, all of my LEDs, which is an indication to me that this is used to sort of mute something, essentially. Um, and I'm also changing the little indicator on the screen there. Then I can press pretty much any button in a column, and it's going to mute that whole column, in essence. So if I'm playing this drum beat, and then mute it, it stops all of them. If I play this first drum beat again, I can actually mute anything in the column and it stops those. Um, one thing also you'll notice if you're not familiar with these um, types of looping software is that they don't immediately respond to what you're doing because they are um, essentially quantizing your uh, time to a, um, a measure or a few measures or a certain number of notes so that the timing, you can say, hey, go ahead and bring the bass in. It won't just bring it in uh, in a way that clashes with the actual beat of the song. It waits until you reach the next bar, typically. Um, so that's why you'll see sometimes there'll be uh, a couple buttons lit up green until it switches into the next uh, measure and then it turns off the, the previous one. Um, now, I also mentioned I've got the uh, this cutoff value. So let me, I'm going to play a whole um, section here and then I will turn this up and you'll hear uh, essentially the low tones drop out. So this will use a filter to cut away. It's a low pass filter. It's going to cut away some of the lower frequencies as I increase that value. Um, so that is the sort of um, demo of it doing what it does. But now I want to talk about how it does this. How, how do these things actually work? So this is the part that I got really excited about working with this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn on uh, a display here of, let's see, there we go. I'm going to display my MIDI monitor. So uh, there, there are versions of this on any operating system. There's even ones that work inside of browsers, inside of Chrome browsers and others that allow USB MIDI. Um, and what this is doing is this is essentially spying on the traffic going on. Um, so what I'll do is I'll actually set this up to just spy on my 
um, macro pad here when I press a key. And just so, um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just turn the volume down a little bit so you'll still hear the music, but not as loudly. So here I go, I'm gonna press this first button. Uh, so what you can see here is it sent four, actually it sent two messages. Ignore these invalid ones. We have an extra byte right now that's, uh, that's being sent in USB MIDI. This is being fixed, I think, uh, in tiny USB. Um, the two messages that are being sent are note on over channel one. So MIDI has 16 channels. The MIDI note number, MIDI note numbers exist from zero to 127. And those, those represent typically the pitches on your keyboard or, or piano or whatever, however you want to consider it, but the, the musical pitches. Uh, and in this case, though, that's not, not how it's used. That note on message is actually being used to just tell the clip in the upper left cell of what you consider a, essentially a spreadsheet of, of clips. Uh, the first upper, that upper left one is considered number 81. I think the bottom left one is uh, on, on a uh, pad like this, I think is 11. Um, so they start at 11 and they go over to, um, what, 18 and up to 88. So that's the grid we're working with. So we send a note on message and the number 127 you see here, that is the velocity. Um, a velocity of 127 means you've hit it full hard in case you're uh, used to MIDI controllers that let you hit something softly or hard. But again, it's just used in this case to reinforce the notion of we're playing that clip. Sending, I believe sending anything uh, other than zero would probably turn the clip on. Then it sends a note off message. So this is like you've pressed something and released it. Now, in some cases, if that were a synthesizer, it would play a note until you released it, if, that's, if that note had built-in sustain. Uh, in this case, it's just flicking that um, state of that clip to the on position. Releasing doesn't turn it off. So note on, note off, that's how you tell uh, one of these cells to start playing. If I switch to the next note below it, that's note 71, on, off, and so on. Uh, but now, interestingly, that's not the only messages that are happening here. I'm only looking at those. So if I uh, turn that off for a second, so I'm going to tell MIDI monitor, don't show me when I press a note. Okay, I'm not looking at that, that data flowing by just to clean things up. Uh, but what I will look at is that I've got this great, uh, this is MIDI monitor. It has this little option called spy on output to destinations. So I'm going to spy on the traffic that's going from Ableton Live on my computer over to this MIDI controller. Uh, so right now you can see uh, this first uh, upper left button here is green. I think it is. Yeah, it's green. So that's the one that's playing right now. Uh, and you can see there's a little green arrow on that cell in Ableton. Uh, when I press the next one, you're going to see, even though we're not watching the traffic go from my mic, my, my, uh, macro pad to the computer, what we will see is that traffic flows back this way, and we'll take a look at what that is. Okay, so I pressed the second key. Then some information came back at my uh, controller from Ableton that said this, note on, on note 71 at a value of velocity 69, then note off, 
Then on the second MIDI channel, so that was channel one, channel two, it did a note on, same note, but a different number for the velocity, and then a note off on channel one again. Uh, then it repeats this. Then it sends on channel three, uh, the same note, the data, the velocity is 21. And then finally, the last thing it did was it sent over channel one uh, to note 81. That was that first button, if you remember, uh, the value of 33. So what the heck is all this? Um, actually, we'll start with that bottom one. If you watch when these change, let me clear this again. Last thing that happens is the top button turned back to its original color. Um, and so that is how Ableton is sort of co-opting MIDI messages, essentially to use them as uh, RGB LED uh, data uh, control protocol. So everything you see here is messages about lighting up the LEDs. Um, so let me, let me pause uh, or stop that. So um, what I figured out, and, and it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing, you can look in the manual. There's a, a developer's guide from Novation for their launch pad, um, which there are, I don't know, about six or seven different versions of this kind of thing now going back many years. And if you look in the developer's guide there, or if you have one and you spy on the traffic, what you learn is they actually use three MIDI channels, one, two, and three, uh, to mean different um, animation states of the LEDs. So sending something on channel one is an on and off. Sending something on channel two, I think, is a blink. Sending something on channel three is a uh, breathing, like a soft fade up, fade down. Uh, now, I don't have the macro pad set up to use the, um, the animation state stuff right now, so it just doesn't do any of that. That could be something we add. Um, so a lot of those messages kind of don't matter, but the last one is that it turns it on and off to green. So uh, again, if I press that, uh, let's say button two there, that's uh, this number 71, and it goes to uh, velocity 21 on channel three. That channel is the, uh, sorry, that, that velocity value 21 is the color index for green. Uh, and I'll show you, show you the color index list in a second. Um, the, uh, in this case, sending note 81 to color 33, that's just because 33 was its original color that we picked. So as I go through these, you'll see that final message will uh, vary depending on what color we're, we're getting something to land on. Um, so you can see lands on 33, lands on color 69, lands on 78. So those are all different indexes for, uh, for these blue colors. Um, so let's, let me show you some code. So let, let me open up uh, my code that I have running on here, bring that up. And let's make that a little bigger, actually. One second. So I will kind of obscure some stuff for a minute while we do that. There we go. Let me open it so I can see it. Okay, so let's, let's dive into this a bit. Um, here is the code that's running on this uh, macro pad, and I'm gonna open up a screen session so that we can um, 
also see some of the print statements that I'm doing here. So what's happening here? Uh, the imports here for a bunch of libraries, um, nothing you'll find surprising. It's, it's keypad, it's display IO, it's the font with terminal IO, NeoPixel, rotary IO. I'm using simple math constraint library to keep some numbers within a certain range using display text um, label, the debouncer, and then all this USB MIDI stuff. So USB MIDI and Adafruit MIDI for control change, which is the knob uh, dial stuff, uh, note on, note off, as well as MIDI message, which lets us capture unknown events in case we need to um, see some messages coming from the controller that, that don't fit one of those other categories. Uh, the next thing I've got going on here is that I'm setting up uh, some variables that we'll use in a few places. So Live Launcher 2040 is what I'm calling it, and that is both what gets printed to the screen here and also gets printed down in the serial. Um, I print it right here. Then uh, this is one of the very few things that I've hard-coded. Um, unfortunately, the so far I've not found a way to, uh, I don't believe Ableton is sending things like the track name over to the device in the case of this launch pad. Uh, the one exception to this may be the Ableton Push and Push 2, which are uh, some more sophisticated devices that have a screen on them. And I, there may be some others that have screens, so it might be worth looking at those. I think they may be using um, the SysX messages, which are um, another type of MIDI message that can be used for kind of anything you can dream of. So that's possible that we could grab names of things and put them to the screen. But right now I'm just punting on that and I've just named my three um, track uh, sections there, drum, bass, and synth. And then also hard coding, uh, you could maybe cre create a configuration on the macro pad to decide this at the beginning, but I've just decided that I'm using uh, MIDI CC number 74, which is often used for filter cutoff, and I'm naming the text that shows up here cutoff. Uh, ideally, you'll set this up once and, and not change it much, at least that part of it. Then I'm setting up MIDI, and uh, these are being set up on USB both as an in on USB port zero and an out on USB port one. That all travels over one cable. Uh, and since I'm reading on three channels, I'm, I've got it set up as zero, one, and two, which is translated from CircuitPython zero, one, two to MIDI one, two, three. Uh, same with this out channel. I'm actually sending out over MIDI channel one, uh, which is specified here as zero. Then I am setting up the keypad to uh, use these keys, which are from the upper left corner, one through 12, and then creating my keypad object. And then here's my big, huge list of colors. So that is the official uh, list from the uh, manufacturer of this particular um, controller. They have some uh, software that you can used to use this controller with pure data, which is free and open source equivalent of uh, Max for uh, uh, Max MSP. And so I believe you could use this macro pad with some uh, alterations inside of uh, pure data as well as inside of Max and probably Max for live uh, and live. So there's a lot of options there because they're all uh, sort of living in the same world together. This uh, is this list of uh, the colors. So you can see color index zero is uh, off, is black, and then the rest of these are all the rainbow colors that we can use. Uh, and again, uh, you can, let me open up the, 
developer guide. I think I saw a link to it in the Discord that someone posted. If not, uh, I will bring it up myself. Let's see. No? Okay. Yeah, let me, let me bring that up myself real quick. Uh, so let me go here, here. Uh, oops. Go back to that. So if we do Novation Launchpad, uh, I think it's called Programmers Reference. Uh, yeah, that looks good, sure. Uh, so that is actually what I was using, uh, or maybe the Mini Mark III one, uh, which has one fewer set of buttons around the edges there. Uh, but this is a terrific uh, resource. It tells you everything you want to know about uh, how to interact with the device via MIDI. Um, so really cool that everything is done with MIDI, so you don't have to worry about a particular weird new protocol or a, which programming language you're using. So long as you can send MIDI messages, you can talk to this thing. Uh, and here's the color palette. Um, it wasn't listed in here as their hex or RGB values, but uh, I, I did find that in RCycle, which is this... Um, Pure Data um, library or, or patch collection that was created by Novation. Uh, so going through this thing is really interesting, and you'll learn a lot about uh, how it uses the different MIDI channels and the different velocities to specify different animations and so on. Uh, so jumping back in here, uh, let me get back to my code. And uh, let me know if you have questions. I'm keeping one eyeball on the... Uh, on the chat there in, uh, in both the YouTube and on the Discord. Um, someone asked uh, if you're left-handed, can you have the potentiometer on the left side? So, so this is a, a, an encoder, and uh, the one thing you could do is rotate the whole device this way, uh, and then use left-handed encoder um, and get the screen in the lower right. And we have some, some code for doing that rotation. Um, to flip the screen and flip the button order. So let's see. Uh, next thing I do is I set up the pads. So since Live talks to the, the pads or the keys with that, those MIDI note numbers, 81, 82, 83, 45, 7, 8, across the top and so on, uh, I'm just three wide and four high. So I've set up a little, um, little dictionary here for correlating MIDI note numbers like 81 to uh, physical keys on this, the key switches, which in this case would be zero uh, through 11. Then I have the notes uh, that I can read so that I can again check and see which index I get when a note comes in or when I send a note out. Uh, I had to offset my CC values, I can't remember why, uh, by 20. I don't remember why I did that. Oh, I think I just didn't want it to start at zero. The, the software initializes at zero uh, and I didn't want to send my CC all the way to the, to the basement. So I just pushed it up by 20. It's a hack. Uh, the modifier is the state that I'm using to read when I press that uh, in and out. It's initially false. And then again, speaking of hacks, the way that I'm actually turning off notes um, is uh, there may be a better way to do this, but the, the sort of simplest way I found was inside of live, when you are playing 
any notes in uh, these, any clips in these rather, if you want to turn them off, you can just hit the stop button, which appears in any empty cell. Uh, you can also press the stop button down here, but I, I forget what the deal was with that. Like it didn't send MIDI when we did that. Uh, in fact, we can spy right now. So that's what happens when I play. When I hit stop here, yeah, it didn't send the same data that this stop here did. Um, so those you have to set up. That's the, that's the main thing. You could have a big, huge session uh, with, with clips everywhere. It won't bother anything, but you do need one set of blanks here that we can uh, go to for essentially hitting stop on a clip because um, I didn't find an easier way to do that. So if you do, let me know. I'll be putting out a guide. The code is uh, now in our learn guide repo inside of GitHub. So you can go check it out now and start, uh, start having a look. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I don't know if I pushed that screen change, so you might not have seen that. Uh, so let's see, next thing in the code. Yeah, not sure what you're clicking in Ableton. Sorry, let me, let me move this screen out of the way and actually send you. There you go, now you can see it. So uh, in Ableton, any of these blank clips are in this particular row, and that's what I'm telling um, the macro pad to send. So it's essentially trying to send to a fifth uh, uh, row that doesn't exist. Those are blank. That, that, and that work great. This, this, and this did not work great for, I think, didn't send the MIDI colors back that I needed or something like that. Uh, so bring this back here. Make sure it update. There you go. And uh, so next thing I do is some encoder setup, uh, some NeoPixel setup, display setup. I'm gonna cruise through this stuff because it's really similar to stuff we've done before. Um, I've got my little label names for the tracks, setting up the display with all the display IO stuff. Uh, and then here's what's happening in the code in the main loop. Uh, message in MIDI receive, that's the most important thing for that bi-directional, for, for the stuff coming from your computer back to the macro pad, uh, just receive MIDI messages. Then what do we do with them? Uh, if the message is a message in note on and the message velocity isn't zero, uh, then I am going to switch the colors on a pad uh, using this array of pixels that I have, so the, the 12 pixels of the display and this big array that we saw of colors. So if the velocity is velocity zero, uh, we would be playing that um, first color there, which would be black. If it was uh, a velocity of 127, we would grab this reddish color here uh, that is the last one in the, in the list, if that makes sense. Uh, so that's how we're grabbing the, the, taking the data that comes over MIDI and, and then applying it to setting the colors. Uh, then uh, if the message was a um, velocity 21, that's the green that shows that that's the pad playing. Uh, so we set the pixel to that color, but that's also a little bit of code that I'm using to change the display to whichever ones are playing having those little O's on there. Uh, so as I change these around, you'll see pixels go green because they're the ones playing, but also my little uh, dots turn into O's on the display. 
Uh, if it's a note off message uh, or it's a note on with velocity zero, they both mean the same thing, then I am, uh, what am I doing here? I guess I'm just printing, I don't need this. Yeah, I'm just printing that out to the display. This is a little, just a little more useful for um, the uh, uh, debug here. If it's a control change that's coming in, we're again just printing it. Uh, I don't think I'm doing anything in Ableton right now that's sending control changes right now, but I did see them, so I have that uh, instance taken care of in case you do something more sophisticated in, in live. Uh, or if you're using other controllers, so that's one of the things you can do is have multiple controllers hooked up to your session, and you may want to keep these in sync with each other, so Ableton uses these MIDI messages to send that info around among machines. Uh, and that's kind of, just as an aside, kind of cool because MIDI, uh, it was developed as, back in 1983, as a musical instrument uh, digital interchange, I think, or digital interface, um, that isn't specifically uh, limited to notes. It's anything from one machine telling another that they're syncing up their clocks so they stay in time, to having a controller tell a synthesizer to switch to a different preset, uh, to like I said, showing a display on a, uh, you know, a little text showing up on a display. So this is not actually really an off-label use of MIDI. This is kind of what it was made for. Uh, somewhat funny to see note on messages and velocities used to uh, say colors and channels used to say which animations, but um, not strictly forbidden, I don't believe. Uh, then let's see, the uh, keypad event, um, this is part of the keypad library. This event is, we're checking to see if keys have been pressed. Uh, if none of them have been pressed, this is the loop of the program that we've checked for any MIDI messages. Then we're checking for any knob stuff in here. Um, so, so this is when I'm changing the encoder position. I'm sending these CC values, as you can see, they're changing. Uh, and then this is my little modifier of clicking the button there, changes this uh, modifier state to true, which changes what happens when we press keys, which is the, the last uh, section, kind of maybe the most important section here for actually playing with the thing. Uh, when there is a MIDI event, or rather a keypad event, uh, we grab the number of the keypad, and that can be a, a bunch of them, um, but we will then go and check for any of those that have been pressed. If it's been pressed and I don't have this little modifier held, then we're just going to simply send the note that's correlated to that index. So if you remember, let's say it's uh, the one, two, three, fourth one here, that's going to send, where is it? One, two, three, four, right there. So that's going to send number 70, uh, 71. Um, so that gets, that gets sent to live, which tells it what, what clip to play. Uh, if I have the modifier, then I send those modifier notes, which essentially is playing that blank set of keys that don't exist. Um, when I release, we send the note off message, which um, it doesn't probably strictly matter because it's not a momentary thing, but it's, it is how the protocol works. Um, and same with if we're uh, holding the modifier, it sends to the modified list. And then we show the pixels. Uh, so whew! Hope that made some sense uh, and, and you can get what I'm going on about and, and what's exciting, I think, about uh, working with this and sort of reverse engineering this. Um, 
not even reverse engineering that much because Novation puts out the, the guide to tell you how to use it. So it's really just implementing this thing. Uh, but it felt sure felt fun and hackerish to, to get in there and, and uh, get it to, to do here, the things that were meant for other types of controllers. Uh, I will show you, let's see if I can share the, um, let me go into the preferences in live. I'll probably have to open a new window share for this. I don't think that'll show up for you, will it? No. Okay, so let me, let me add a, a window to share here real quick on top. Uh, bear with me, it's going to go into a black hole for a second. This is a dicey thing to do. It's going to make my broadcast software choke for a moment. Almost there. All right, I did it. Shoot, sorry about that. Yeah, it made my made my broadcast software think real hard. Uh, so if you look at the preferences here in uh, Ableton, under this uh, MIDI section here, you can see the, uh, the way that I'm telling it what kind of messages to send out are by saying, okay, send it out with the protocol for, and then pick your device, right? These are all different manufacturers' devices that you can send out from, from Ableton. Uh, since the Adafruit MacroPad is not listed as an official device, that's okay. Uh, we just pick one that we want to sort of mimic the protocol. So I went with this Launchpad uh, Mini Mark III, which happens to be the one I have. And then as the input, that just says what sort of protocol, uh, surface protocol we're using as the input. Then I'm picking my, my macro pad for both the input and the output. Uh, I'm going to do something funny here, and I'm going to say, let's make the output be my MIDI monitor. So I can say, act as a destination for other programs. Now I can tell this to output straight to MIDI monitor. Um, and let's see, I may have to close that preference. Let's see if we do. Oh no, so it's working. Okay, so now you can see um, we can spy on all the traffic that this um, pairing of live and that control surface want to send out. So if I hit a um, clip here, or a few of them, you don't even need to have the device itself to see those messages. Uh, and you can um, see what messages come from a device into, into the uh, software as well. So pretty cool uh, that it's that, that open. Uh, and I think that's going to do it. So let me know if you have any questions in the chat. That was... Uh, Someone said that was an intense project. Yes, that was a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, I hope you dig it. And 
Um, one thing actually I, I wanted to show is if we if we plug in the actual device here for a moment, I'm going to unplug my macro pad. Um, you'll see that there are some things that I didn't yet implement. Um, let's go to the down camera. So there you can see, sorry, it's a bit washed out. Uh, so there you can see, again, that's gonna do the same stuff, right? It's gonna launch. Uh, there you can see the animations, right? So they do this little pulsing and that's cause that message came on channel three, I believe. Um, and there's me just picking a blank row. Um, one thing you can do is you can scroll. So if you have a bigger session, inside of uh, Ableton. Let me, let me hide some things here in this layout again. Uh, we'll hide Atom and MIDI monitor. Shoot that over there. Okay, so you can see that. Um, if you come over here and let's say, should be able to copy and paste that and then we'll just change all these colors on this uh, on this one here so we see the change. So the uh, the launch pad here, since it has more than 12, that showed this extra column. Um, but if you go wider than the device, you can actually scroll through and you can even see in Ableton, it's got some little uh, highlight yellow around the section that's linked to the view here. Uh, and I did, I did set that up briefly just to see it's, guess what, another MIDI message. So let's see how that works. Um, if I look at my MIDI sources of the um, uh, launch pad here, DAW out, it has actually two MIDI channels that it can use. If we use the DAW out and I press this right scroll button, hey look, it sends a MIDI CC message. Oh, sorry, I'm not showing you that, hold on. Bring that back up. Shoo, there we go. Uh, so watch that MIDI monitor. When I use the little scroll button, what's it send? It sends, uh, oh, that wasn't the, sorry. That wasn't the scroll. There's the scroll. When I scroll sideways, it sends a MIDI CC message, MIDI control, not a, not a note on or note off, on channel one. Uh, on MIDI number 94, and it's a velocity of 127 followed by a velocity of zero. So that is what has been co-opted for the uh, right arrow is data channel 94 or CC channel or CC number 94 and 93 is the left. So you could use the left arrow, right arrow, down arrow, up arrow. And those are all just these uh, MIDI CCs being used to scroll around. So you can imagine if you wanted to not worry about the knob as a CC and instead use it to scroll sideways and maybe while you've got it clicked, you can scroll up and down. You can move around a huge map of, of uh, info. One of the reasons I didn't implement that is that I'm not able to get info back about the names and then my screen will be lying, lying to me. So not as interested in that, um, but it's definitely a possibility. Um, and I'd be interested to see if anyone digs deeper in uh, and finds a way to, to make that happen. Uh, last thing I'll say is that I specifically was using the um, Launchpad Mini Mark III, but if you went and uh, tried something like the Push, Push 2, that's probably the most sophisticated controller. It's made by Ableton themselves. Uh, if you're sending messages back and forth to the Push, that's where you may see some of these SysX messages that tell you things like names. Um, so if I spy on that stuff, 
and set my output to be MIDI monitor and now come over here and I think I can right arrow and left arrow. Is that going to work? No. Oh, I don't know if you can do that scrolling, how you can do that scrolling. I don't know Ableton very well, by the way, so <laughs> uh, just so you know. I'm not sure what messages it sends. Hey, I'm not seeing any messages. All right, that's, I'm not sure why there, but I'm going to get out of my depth quickly. So, uh, so we'll, we'll end it there, but thank you. Uh, thanks for, for playing along with me as I do um, funky live stuff inside of CircuitPython using our little macro pad. Uh, and that's going to do it for today. So thanks for stopping by. I will hang out in the chat for a little bit if you have other thoughts and questions. Uh, be sure to tune in for all of our live streams that we have. Uh, we've got the um, 3D three Hangouts. We've got Ask an Engineer. We have Desk of Lady Ada will probably be on this Sunday. Those generally happen on Sundays. Uh, I think Scott has a show and tell or a, a deep dive tomorrow, but I'm not sure. So check, check the blog for that. Uh, and if anyone knows, you can mention it in the chat. And yeah, look, our chat even has a neat little bot where you can type in question mark showtimes and it'll let you know what's happening. Uh, so I'll jump in the, in the chat and hang out for a little bit. Uh, and I am gonna hang up this phone. So thanks everyone for stopping by and I will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>